Hello, Mountain. You know, it's around Mother's Day, and every year at this time, I like to remind Carla what it was like when we gave birth to each of our kids. Um, it's a little more fun for me than it is for her, probably, but we do it anyway. And I like to say we, because that's how it is these days. We talk about we, how we gave birth to our kids, because my job, they told me, was to help her breathe. You know, they're really struggling to help you feel important when they say, your job is to help her. Like, she couldn't do that on her own. You know, like, honey, don't forget to inhale. So, yes, we, we had three children. I particularly remember the birth of Andrew about 21 years ago. Here's a sort of then and now shot of Andrew. You get a little feel for him. It was a horrific ordeal. Carla had 24 hours of excruciating labor followed by uh, that whole, you know, push a watermelon through a keyhole experience, and then, and then a spinal headache, if you know what that is. Just this awful thing. Had to go back to the hospital. It was terrible. But then we came home with a little baby, and I helped her breathe. So we gave birth to Andrew that way. And uh, what, I'll tell you what does stand out to me was the first moments after he was born. And by the way, anyone uh, who says a babies are cute has never been in a delivery room, apparently, because... <laughs> They hand you this little, like, cone-headed, beet-red, wrinkled-up, mucus-covered creature, and it's not cute. It's just not. But it is beautiful, very beautiful. And I remember particularly also, I would say not just beautiful, but it was kind of haunting in a way. I remember watching this brand-new human creature there, kind of how they're, they're, they're quivering, you know, and they kind of spasmed in the way in his movements. And it, all of a sudden, he just reached his little arms out in the air, and he just like was making little fists like he was grasping for something or someone. It's kind of like this. I remember thinking, you know, he's reaching for something or someone. And, and I, I've become convinced he was. And I kind of think every one of us is. And he was just mirroring what every human creature from our earliest moments on this planet longed for, to, to sort of grope and hope, to sort of reach and f- wonder if there's someone there for me, if, in fact, I'm okay, if I'm welcome here, if I'm loved. I believe every one of us desires that, needs that, craves that what you saw in that little baby in that moment. They took Andrew away to weigh him and test him and do all the things they do and stick the turkey baster in his nose and mouth and get the gook out. You know how they do. And then it's only a couple minutes. And, and then the nurse brought him back, and it was kind of gut-wrenching to see what seemed to me on his face like this disoriented look, like this sort of uh, angsty terror going on. And who can blame him? I mean, for nine months, he's been coasting, floating around in his personal mobile heated swimming pool called Mom, right? And now he's thrust out into the sound and fury and lights and poking and all of that. He starts to scream like something out of a horror flick, just, you know, just like blah, just screaming at the top of his lungs. But the second they handed him back to Carla, and she just kind of gathered him up, and put her lips on his cheek as she's talking to him, and he's just picking up on her presence and all of that, and he just calms right down. And I believe that also is a picture of what we're all looking for, that sense that there's approval for me, that I'm okay, that I belong, that I'm loved. And I know some of you are like, well, not me. I mean, maybe when I was a baby, but not now, you know. 
I'm a self-made woman, you know, or whatever, all that garbage. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are, what your thing is. The truth is we all still desire and need exactly what Andrew desired and needed as a baby in that moment. And we, uh, you know, because we come from a lot of different backgrounds. Now think of our family backgrounds, how different they are. You know, what kinds of families we've come from. Oh, my goodness, all kinds of different families. And think of how different we are in our personalities. And we're left brain, we're right brain. we got extroverts and introverts. we got people from the south and the northeast and California. we got people from India and Africa and even some Greeks and, and uh, you know, people from Cecil County. we got, we got everybody <laughs> in here. Lots of different backgrounds, right? You know, different generations, all that. Here's the thing, one of the things that we have in common is that we have hardwired by God into our very souls this longing for this thing we're talking about, which the Bible calls the blessing. The blessing. And so strong is this drive for the blessing that if we feel we're denied it, shut out from it, didn't get it from parents, from family, this sense of approval, this affirmation, this sense that you're okay and welcome and belong and you're loved and and you're here in this world in a healthy way, that we will go looking for it anywhere we can find it. We'll We'll go trying to find some way to fill that hole or make up for that hurt. And so when you look at people, If you find someone who feels they received that blessing, they operate out of a kind of strength that's there because of it. And, and, And you look at others and you realize in ways they don't even realize they're acting out of a kind of deficit. And I can't tell you as a pastor the number of painful marriage issues and Divorces and affairs and, and, and dysfunction and abuse and fights and problems and pain and also professional degrees and accomplishments and all these amazing things we are driven to accomplish in life. All that because we're so unaware sometimes of this powerful concept of the blessing. I read a study this week. Did you know that it was, it was like based on 41 million Americans, so not a small study, and it said that Major depression has grown by 33% in the last four years, which means it's epidemic. So it can join our epidemic, what's already been noted as an epidemic of loneliness. And it can join the epidemic of shame that we already have. And it can join the epidemic of addiction that we already have. Addiction to everything from opioids to, to food to booze, to porn, to anything we get our hands on. And our families are more dysfunctional, it seems, than ever. Abuse of all kinds continues to scar families and perpetuate itself from generation to generation to generation with apparently no end in sight. And despite all of our brilliance and enlightenment and education and government spending, deep systemic racism is still deeply entrenched in the culture and it just kind of keeps flowing like a river right through our streets and into the next generation. We're more connected than ever through Wi-Fi and smartphones and Netflix and Facebook, but more disconnected than ever to our own souls, to each other, and to the God who made us. Friends, we're not going to talk over the next few weeks about five little tips or tricks to make your life a little bit nicer. We don't do that kind of shallow stuff here. I want to talk to you 
about how God made your life to flourish. He, he, he made us, the Bible says, to have a life that's abundant, that's full, that's free. To, to live, and you, you can't just do that by reading self-help books. We need the presence of God alive in us, fulfilling that which we didn't get from any place on earth to sort of be full up. And if you can't look at the world and look at your own society, look at the, your own soul and realize that something is drastically wrong, then you're just not very observant or you're lying to yourself. Something's wrong. And God wants to say to us, as he does in his word, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be sucked into the malaise of mediocrity, content to muddle through life and get by because you're made to flourish and blossom and grow and have a life that is what he calls abundant, to be the best version of yourself that's possible. And you cannot do that without the blessing. The blessing. All right. There's one person who's going to be coming back for this series. Here's how I've experienced this in my life. I, I feel, the blessing feels like a deposit that's made in, deep in your soul. That, it's like a reservoir that you unconsciously, a thousand times a day, draw upon for strength. It helps you weather setbacks that you don't even realize where you're drawing it from, but it's the blessing at work. It helps you overcome challenges. It helps you be the kind of healthy person who can love God, love people, and serve the world. That's what the blessing. And when you feel deprived of it through whatever, misuse, abuse, a treatment, or a family that just didn't get it, you feel kind of secretly hollow at your core when you're sure everyone else around you sort of has something you don't. Now, let's make one thing really clear here. We can be very honest about it. We've had very different families, right? On a, on a weekend like Mother's Day, it's really easy to sort of be aware that some of us have families that seem enchanted and others, you know, more possessed, right? So we, we get that. But here's the deal. Every single one of us, even those with seemingly charmed families, will find a hole inside where the blessing might have been. Because nothing in this world provides the full deposit. It can't. Every blessing, even the best blessings in life, are going to feel muted and incomplete because the only source of ultimate blessing, the only one who can place fullness in us, is the one who made us, the one we're ultimately seeking when we come out groping and hoping. And that's the Lord. We'll get, we'll get to that. Now, by now, you can probably tell as we talk about blessing, we're not talking about just kind of the casual little surface-level way we use the word sometimes in society. You know, but, uh, this week, I was driving uh, through that roundabout at Tollgate and Singer, you know the one, and I was coming this way, and there was a guy on a bike coming this way. We just happened to meet. He was going that way. We just happened to meet. We were like that far apart for one second. And right then, I had my window rolled down. Right as he comes by on the bike, he's like, got you. And I'm like, bless you. He's like, thanks. It was really cool. <laughs> Is that what we're talking about when we say blessing? No, that's not what we mean. Nor are we talking about the way we talk about, like, bless others in the way recent weeks we've been talking about surprising the world by just random acts of kindness and that kind of thing. As awesome and cool as all that is, that's just a subset. We're talking here about something bigger, something more life-affirming at a deeper level, something much more robust and life-altering. In fact, it's centuries old, older than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as we'll soon see, and also as relevant and timely as you can imagine. 
imagine for today. And I got to be honest, I'm excited to talk about this because it's coming out of a deep place for me. I was introduced to some of these concepts from Scripture when I was young and had young, before I actually had kids. And it was so pivotal in my thinking. I will say it has revolutionized the way I think about my job as a parent. And still today, when I don't know what to do or I can't decide what is right or best, I always put it back to this filter of blessing. And parents, I don't care what else you do, how else you screw up. Listen, make sure among everything else you do that you give your kids the blessing. We're going to help you do that and rescue it if it's on the wrong trajectory. It's given me a lens through which I think about my marriage. As I think about my responsibility and my privilege with my wife. And if you don't understand this and you're married or going into a relationship, every, you know, guess what? You're marrying someone else who also has a deficit. And if you don't get that, you're like two drowning souls in the sea trying to grab each other and you pull each other under with this sort of drowning experience of sort of unfulfilled expectations that you're hoping this other person can meet and never will. But if you can understand the blessing, then you can both sort of just understand where it's really got to come from, from the Lord, and then you can have a life-giving spouse, and you can be a life-giving spouse and have a God-honoring marriage the way you're meant to. This concept will affect the way you think and relate to your parents, living or dead, to your friends, your families, those you're dating. Every, every single relationship is affected. So we're going to kind of look at three questions as it'll kind of be a grid uh, each of the weeks of this series. We'll, we'll, first of all, we'll be talking frequently about why am I the way I am? And some of you are a real trip, so you ought to pay attention. Because there's so many things about us that we just aren't reflective about. Scripture invites us to just, don't just be like, you know, listening for, hope the person next to me hears this one. It's like, no, this is for you. Why are you the way you are? Psalm 139 invites us to really say, God, look inside of me. Do that. And the blessing will... Send some light bulbs off that'll help you. And then the second question we'll kind of dig into a little bit is what, what to do if I'm denied the blessing? Some of you, this might be a little edgy and raw, maybe even painful to consider. And you're like, well, well great, you know, am I just hosed now? I didn't get the blessing. It's like, no, 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 no. God has a special place in his heart for those who feel like they didn't receive from family what they were looking for. Hearts broken in the past can find healing in the future. And we're going to talk about what to do with our disappointment and our dysfunctional families in the past or present because there's help and hope and healing for us. And the third question we'll deal with is, how do I give the blessing? If I'm a parent of adult kids or little tiny ones, or if I'm married or dating someone, or, or what if I'm just a, like a bad friend? Everywhere I go, I'm a bad friend. How can I get better at being a blessing giver? Because I promise you, just as surely as that nurse placed little Andrew into Carla's arms, God has placed someone into your sphere of relationships, and you have an opportunity, and I would go so far as to say responsibility to be a person who learns how to give the blessing, to bring, as the scriptures say, God's will as it is done in heaven on earth, to bring shalom, to bring some of the Jesus well-being and wholeness through you to someone else. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, you have probably already figured out that 
The blessing is a concept that is everywhere, all through the Bible. And uh, we'll be drawing from a number of those places to understand it better. Uh, particularly, uh, it's in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, you see the very often in that culture, it was a patriarchal culture. And we'll be drawing those principles and applying them to our society today. But in the patriarchal culture, it meant it was the, the father of the family system that would then give the blessing one time to the oldest son, and it had a kind of prophetic power through the generations. And, and, and today, through Christ, all of God's children can receive the blessing, sons and daughters. And rather than just giving once in a formal ceremony, we can receive it really over time through many encounters and interactions in our own lives. But in those days, it was the father. And there's a graphic picture of this exchange in Genesis chapter 27. If you want to look there at that passage, Genesis chapter 27. You remember about Abraham, right? Well, Abraham's old. He died, and his son Isaac is now old, and his sons are growing. And, and it's time for the blessing to be conferred. And his two sons... Isaac has two sons, they're, they're Esau and Jacob. Esau's the older one, and Jacob the younger, and so Esau's supposed to receive the blessing. Look at Genesis chapter 27, first few verses. 27, 1 to 4. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, yes, father, Esau replied. Isaac said, Now I'm an old man, and I don't know when I may die. But it could be getting close is why he's he's doing this. Now then, get your hunting equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my what? Blessing before I die. You got to get this in before you croak. Because especially in that culture, the, the words of blessing, words in that, the spoken word was powerful in that culture, almost the opposite of how words are viewed in our culture, to be honest. But once the words were spoken, they had a powerful permanence that could not be retrieved. And so this was a big deal. And they were getting, he did go get some stew. That's going to be my favorite, favorite meal, and we'll have the blessing ceremony. Well, this is a very dysfunctional family. The scripture goes on to say that Rebecca, Isaac's wife, overhears the conversation. And she knows what's about to go down. Esau's going to receive the blessing. She'll have nothing of it because her favorite son is Jacob. And so she concocts a plot. As soon as Esau goes out hunting, she grabs Esau, and they go out in the yard and kill a goat, cook up some stew, and put some, like, hairy clothes on him so he'll feel hairy like his brother was. And they go in, and she sends him in to lie through his teeth to his dad, which he does, verse 19. Jacob replies, it's me, Esau, dad, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here's the wild game. He's lied about six times in the first ten words. Now sit up and eat so you can give me your blessing. And Isaac says, oh, you, wow, that was fast. How'd you get out and do, oh, just lucky, I guess, Dad. How about that blessing? Is it really you? And he feels out, and they've got this sort of hairy garment, and he feels it, and ah, it sure feels hairy like Esau. And he falls for it, and Isaac gives the blessing. It should have gone to Esau, to Jacob. And it's beautiful blessing. Blessing about his future, how nations will come and be given through him, and inheritance and riches and goodness, and how he'll lord it over his brothers. And then he runs off, Jacob does. And then Esau runs in, 
Verse 30, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, Jacob snuck away and Esau returned from his hunt. Esau prepared a delicious meal, brought it to his father, and then he said, sit up, my father, and eat my wild game so you can give me your blessing. And Isaac is shaken with the horrible realization of what's happened. Trembling, he says, I've got no blessing to give you. I gave it away to Jacob. It's one of the most painful and poignant moments in all of literature. In verse 34, when Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud and bitter cry, Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too, he begged. Isaac said, your brother was here and he tricked me. He's taken away your blessing. There's no blessing for you. And verse 38 shows Esau pleading with his father, is there no other blessing for me? Oh, my father, bless me too. And he weeps bitterly. And I'll bet some of us can really relate to that anguished cry of unfulfilled longing for words that just never seemed to come. A blessing that just wasn't quite given our groping hands just left kind of empty for some reason. I met a young man one time, very popular kid on the University of Tennessee, Knoxville campus. He was a star on the football team. He was a kid who, you know, had girls screaming his name and signing autographs after practice, pro scouts taking him to dinner. But in a moment of unguarded Honesty and truth. He confessed to some friends through tears. He just, I just wish my dad would come and watch me play one time. His dad wasn't in his life. Some things that a boy wants from his dad and his mom. And so he, that boy, with all that anger and hurt, plays his guts out, and he's really good at football, but every weekend he looks up into the stands for a dad who's not there. Me too. Can you bless me too? Is there nothing for me? It's powerful. Brian's dad was a career military officer, Marine. And his sole desire was that Brian was going to follow in his footsteps. And so he crafted that boy from the time he was very young to aim him in that direction. He wanted to make him tough, you know. And for him, that meant, well, I'm not big on affection. Didn't have a lot of room for displays of warmth or approval. You know, he didn't want his boy going soft on him. So he aimed him especially into sports and those kind of things. And Brian did pretty well. But if he ever did anything well, he also got a lecture on how it could have been done better, could have done more, could have had more success. And so... When Brian went into the Marines, he got kicked out for attitude issues, and that was the end of his relationship with his dad. He wasn't even welcome in his father's home. His father was ashamed of him. And he went through his whole adult life with this kind of overwhelmed sense of inferiority, and he worked at jobs that were way below his level. He was engaged three times, and every time he got up close to the marriage, he pulled, it, he pulled away and called it off because he just could not believe that anyone would really love him. So he sabotaged it. And he finally came to recognize that he'd grown up without this sense of blessing from his family. Much like we'll be doing, I hope. And he allowed Christ into that space and it kind of freed him to deal more honestly with it and maturely. And that's about the time that his mom called him and said his dad was dying. He better come home. So he flew home, sure that his dad would listen to him. And as an adult, they would be able to kind of get together. And there'd been all this change in him. He was sure his dad would feel the same way. And maybe they would just have this amazing moment. He built this thing up in his head, but it never happened. He got there and his dad was already in a coma. And four days later, he died. 
He never heard those words. And there's a man crying in the hallways of that hospital, not just because his father died, but because he didn't get the blessing. Never would from him. For Nancy, her experience was different. She grew up in an affluent suburb. And her mom um, loved to socialize with the other women at the club because her mom's marriage was terrible, so she put all her energy on the daughters, kind of in an unhealthy way. And she loved to sort of dress them up in these elegant little petite clothes and take them around, parade them to her friends at the club. But Nancy, unlike her sister and mother, was not petite. She was quite large, big boned. She was a tomboy, loved to swing on the fence and play with animals and be outside. And that didn't thrill her mom, who wanted her to be this little debutante. So her mom was always reminding her how awkward and clumsy she was. And she'd take her shopping and she'd, she'd say things like, you know, my Nancy, all of the really nice clothes are your sister's size. Put her on a strict diet to try to make her physically presentable to others. And Nancy tried really hard, but she just couldn't measure up. And eventually, Nancy and her, her mom and sister just started going to these events on their own and leaving Nancy at home. Because after all, Nancy, you don't want to be embarrassed by the way you look with all those other kids around, do you? So it might not be surprising to you to discover that as an adult, years later, a wife and a mom with two kids of her own, two daughters, she struggled with her weight and she struggled with feelings of massive inferiority and some frustration and anger that came out in weird moments. And even though her husband deeply loved her, was really committed to her, every time they grew close and tried to get intimate in any kind of way, she was so insecure and so defensive, became so angry and threatened, she put up a wall because that's the only way she knew how to live was with everyone at arm's length. It frustrated her. And everyone else. And when her own mom started showing favoritism to one of her daughters, it brought it all to the surface. And then she projected her own anger on the petite daughter of her own, realizing in a strange way that the very thing her kids wanted was the thing that she wanted but didn't get. And now couldn't explain it, but she was somehow unable to give it. And you see, the blessing is so powerful. When we don't, when we feel deprived of it, it starts affecting not just a relationship with one person, but with maybe our husband or wife and our kids and even our God. And even when we move away physically from home, it can still feel like we're chained there in certain ways. John Trent and Gary Smalley have written extensively about this in ways that have really helped a lot of people. It's not just all bad. It's not that all of us have not received the blessing because, you know, many of us have. I, 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 John it was a young man who was raised by a single mom. And she had three rambunctious boys, so they moved in with Grandpa to help. And Grandpa was a stern disciplinarian, very strict. He had rules, and if you broke the rules, you got swats. And one of the rules was, this will throw some back for, for some of you. One of the rules was you had to be inside by the time the streetlight came on. How many of you can remember that one? Inside by the time the streetlight came on. Well, one time... John and his brother did not get inside before the streetlight came on, and he knew what that meant, and father, grandfather never waited long with, with discipline, and so down the hall, and he got his swats, two of them. As soon as she, he got back, and grandma sent him right back to get grandpa for dinner. Well, he didn't much want to go down there and see grandpa at all, but he did. The rule was you had to knock on the door. You didn't just walk in, he, and, and instead the door was open a little bit, and for some reason he just kind of pushed it with his foot and looked inside. And what he saw shocked him. His grandfather was sitting there on the edge of bed, crying. He'd never seen his father, grandfather cry. Never seen him show any emotion at all. 
And his grandfather looked up and saw him. He thought, oh boy, here it goes. Now I'm going to get 60 swats for not knocking. But instead, his grandfather motioned and called him over. So he went over there, and his grandfather reached out to him and hugged him and sat him on the bed and through tears just said, explained how much it hurt him when he had to swat his boys. He says, I want more than anything in the world for you boys to grow up to be good, strong, godly men. I want you to know how much I love you and how proud I am of you. And John says, I can't explain it, but when I left his room that night, I was a different person because of his blessing. As I look back today, that evening provided me with a meaningful rite of passage from childhood to young adulthood. And I recalled that picture of my grandfather's blessing shaping my attitudes and my actions for years to come. And I'm, a few months later, in that same room, his grandfather died of an aneurysm. And he says, I know now that the Lord allowed me that experience to hear from him what I would never hear from my father as a way of putting a d deposit in him. And then that man, John, went on to write all about this concept of blessing so it could help people like me and you experience the same. So whether or not we're a person who has received the blessing in full, the beautiful thing about Christ is he enables and uses all of us to find some of the blessing we crave as we give it to others. We're called to be blessing givers. And one of the things that happens when you become a Christian is you're freed from so many things. You're freed, one of the jailhouses you're freed from is selfishness, where you're freed to get your eyes off of yourself, your own junk, your own pain long enough to sort of start seeing other people around you. And one of the ways that manifests itself for all of us is that we're invited to be people who see the people that God has placed in our lives and realize we have the sacred responsibility to, and the power to help build them up and encourage them and put blessing in and over them or to withhold it and to discourage and focus on ourselves instead. So we're going to talk about how we can share this God-given blessing. And it's a little bit like thinking about planting a a flower or a seed. You know, you know how that is, right? You put a little seed in the ground, right, and it grows up. But there has to be certain ingredients there, right? Like nutrients in the soil, a little sunlight, a little water. But you do all that stuff, and it'll grow. And the blessing's the same way. You get the ingredients there, and blessing will blossom. And you don't have to be amazing or perfect to do any of these things. You just, and you don't have to do it right every day. But you get some of these things. John Trent and Gary Small, I talk about these five core elements, and we'll be hitting on some of these in, a couple, in, in the coming weeks. Let me tell you what they are. We'll come back and visit them, learn how to get better at them. One, one is, one element of the blessing is meaningful touch. Just the right kind of touch administered in the right way at the right time. We've got to be careful about this, and some of us are feeling awkward about this, and we don't know how to do it sometimes, but you know what? And of course, we have to be careful about how we touch and whom we touch and why we touch. But... Touch is powerful. It's more than skin deep. And if you study the life of Jesus, you see how intentionally and beautifully he touched. His touch was pure, and it was powerful, and it was tender. And almost everyone he meets, he has a life-giving touch for. And we can be the same way, just like the patriarchs in the Old Testament who had these powerful moments of 
Intentional, meaningful touch. Let's talk about that in the coming weeks. And here's another element. Spoken words, an important part of the blessing. We all have incredible power through the words we share or choose to withhold. We'll talk about that and how to get better at it. And how about these two kind of together? Attaching high value and picturing a special future. As you sort of remind someone, man, you're valuable. You have worth because sometimes we don't know it. And picturing a special future for someone. Helping them. When you lose hope for your future, you've lost the blessing. But if you believe that there's something out there for you and someone tells you and convinces you it's true, you might live into that a little more. And the last one is active commitment where we sort of back up our good intentions to bless someone with some kind of follow-through, some kind of show up, be there, sacrifice somehow to make it so. Meaningful touch. Powerful, encouraging words. Picturing a special future and giving, attaching high value and some kind of active commitment. These are the things over the next few weeks we'll look at how to incorporate into our lives. Now, we're just going to be honest and, and say, as we've talked about this, some of our families, just this wasn't the way it was. We're not going to beat up our families. We're not going to bash our families. Sometimes our families were only, they can't give what they didn't have, and maybe they didn't know. Maybe they were doing the best they could, or maybe there was a very serious situation where it was just evil or diabolical. And I know for some of us, this is a raw and difficult conversation because of the families we grew up in, and there are some deep wounds being brought to mind. I just want to remind us that there's a lot at stake with us getting this and getting it right. Because if the hurtful patterns from the past are not broken, they have a tendency, very strong tendency, to continue with you and with those who come after you. They're simply likely to repeat that sort of curse, if you will. The Bible talks about the sins of the fathers being passed down generation to generation. Curses tend to pass down through families until, unless, someone invites Jesus Christ into the situation to bring his power, his love, his grace, his healing to break the chain. And that can happen with you. We see it happen all the time. Until someone is healed by the Lord, invites God into empty places where blessings should have been. Until Jesus Christ is there and out of his overflow of peace, security, strength, and wholeness and shalom, you can start touching the right way. You can start speaking in life-giving ways and promising future and blessing in ways that honor God and those around you. We want to acknowledge the truth about our families. Quit kind of covering for them. Quit kind of denying stuff. And quit attacking and blaming them. Just kind of find the right way to bring to God. This is the God who raised Jesus from the dead. And if he can bring life out of death, guess what? He can bring a blessing out of your curse. So we're going to talk about that too. He can bring good out of evil. I don't know how he does it, but I see it all the time. And so I hope you can start looking for the help and the hope regardless of whatever dysfunctional family you have, and just claim the promise that, you know what, in Christ, we can be new creatures. God can change a curse into a blessing. Deuteronomy 23.5 is a passage where Balak calls in Balaam, who could whip up a curse on God's people. He says, I need these people are scaring me. We got, we whip up a curse on them. And verse 5, it says this, but the Lord your God refused to listen to Balaam, wasn't going to listen to that curse. Instead, he turned the curse into a blessing for you. Why? Because the Lord your God loves you. 
And he feels the same way about you. You know, the idea of curse there, that word in the Hebrew, it means to esteem lightly and to dishonor. It means a scanty portion where you were hoping for a cupful, you only got a little. Like a trickle of water. That's what low value is like. It's the same way when you curse someone. You devalue them, and they didn't get plentiful helpings of love or acceptance. They just got scarcity, barely enough to survive sometimes. That's what a curse feels like. And just as God said to his people in the Old Testament, I'm not going to let that curse be the last word. He's saying to many of us, that is not the end of your story either. Why? Because I love you. He's our spiritual parent, and it begins as you invite the presence of God into your life through a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the God who says, as in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, God says, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? I will never leave you or forsake you. These are the words of God for each of us. Each of us who comes into the world groping like little Andrew, reaching. And you're meant to find blessing and some kind of love from family. But whether it does or doesn't happen, it never fills us completely. And what we need to remember as we talk about the blessing is that those groping hands find what they're looking for when they find the hand of Jesus Christ. The one and only blessing that God gives us, who fills us, and enables us to be a whole person. We can be married and have kids and give to people around me so I can love God, I can love people, and I can serve the world. A blessing. Let's pray. Let me pray for you. God, we welcome your presence here in this place, and we invite you into some of the raw emotion that's here, some of the gratitude that we feel. Some of us are just overwhelmed by how you have shown grace to us because we receive so much blessing. Thank you. Others of us at the same time are just like, this brings up anger and frustration and just the sorrowful remembrance of maybe an upbringing or experiences in life that left us like Esau, saying, what about me? But all of us, God, we find ourselves like Andrew's little groping hands reaching for you. Thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you are our portion. You fill our cup. So bless us so that we might be a blessing. We pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.